In the age of coronavirus, dealing with COVID-19 information overload has become the new normal. With the world more confusing than ever, dealing with constant uncertainty can have dire consequences when it comes to your mental health. And while sussing out truths and digesting complicated news can be exhausting, there are scientific ways to cut through the clutter and find the information you really need. Key strategies can also protect your mental health against anxiety and depression. Before you grab your phone for another doom-scrolling session, it's important to check in on yourself first. The best way to forge ahead through uncertainty may be to slow down entirely. You can start by taking a breath and asking yourself one question first. How you doing? Welcome to the Abstract Podcast from Inverse. I'm Tanya Bustos, your host. In today's bonus crossover episode, Inverse Mind and Body staff writer Ali Patillo joins Quinn Emmett and Brian Colbert Kennedy, co-hosts of the Important Not Important podcast, for a conversation about today's information overload and its gripping effects on our mental health. Luckily, the latest insight from scientists offers vital strategies to keep us healthy and sane. Pursuing uncertainty is basically what the pursuit of the science really is. That is the scientific method, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it itself, the way it's portrayed in the media, the rise of science, social media, and bots, and poor messaging from the government, I mean, at best, it makes setting expectations really, really difficult for mm-hmm. everybody. Am I going back to work? When are my kids going back to school? When is vaccine coming? When's the treatment coming? This one works, that one doesn't. So the world we're facing before COVID, I mean, the world we're facing now and over the next 10 years is more uncertain than it's ever been for, for more people than ever. And yet, I mean, we deal with uncertainty so, so poorly. It's a hard one to get over, right? To be stoic, to admit you can only control what you can control. And even I have a very difficult time with that. So I wonder, Ali, now, all that said, if you can talk a little bit about uncertainty and everything you've learned about mental health, at least this past year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, uncertainty is hugely prevalent in our lives now. As you mentioned, it's been prevalent for decades, but with the COVID-19 pandemic in particular, we have more questions than we have answers. Um, And a lot of that is because the virus was a novel coronavirus, meaning scientists didn't know much, relatively speaking, about it, how to treat it, what it looks like, how fast it spreads. And, you know, scientists around the world are racing to answer those questions and they've gone leaps and bounds in understanding it, but we still have a lot we don't know. And unfortunately, I don't know isn't really an acceptable answer for a lot of people. I mean, human beings are evolutionarily embedded to look for perceived threats in the environment and often weight negative information or scary information, fear-inducing information more than positive information. And when we're scared and when we don't have an answer, we often jump to conclusions or we can, as you said, kind of venture into this lizard brain where we reduce these really complex, nuanced topics into kind of binary yes or no categories. And that's really dangerous. And it's interesting because throughout the pandemic, you know, we've seen this huge upswell of misinformation and conspiracy theories. And I've done some reporting on a bunch of different ones, but one in particular was about the 5G cell phone towers or cell towers. Yeah, Mm -hmm. which was just a theory that really caught fire. I mean, we had like celebrities like Woody Harrelson tweeting about it, millions of people thinking Mm -hmm. that this was the origin of the coronavirus. People were burning down cell towers. (sighs) Pretty crazy stuff. 
But it's interesting because when I spoke to psychologists who study conspiracy theories, they really stress the point that people who are buying into these ideas aren't crazy, that it's actually um, kind of a human tendency to want to create a story out of something when there are more questions than answers. And that is just something that I think we need to be really thoughtful about and intentional about, about the way that we're perceiving the coronavirus and the pandemic and all the messages around it. And the way that we're making decisions based on that. And I think like one of the, the best ways to do that is when you're feeling yourself kind of jumping to worst case scenario, feeling doomed, feeling hopeless. I think thinking rationally, if you can, or talking to you know a friend about this, about, okay, what are the facts here? What's actually going on? Trying to get information from multiple different sources rather than take one headline or one story at face value And this is an ongoing process because, you know, telling someone who's freaking out just to be calm and be rational isn't really productive at all. But if you can have these kind of grounding conversations in the midst of these really overwhelming emotions, then you can realize, okay, this is what's actually going on here. This is what I actually need to be worried about versus this is what everyone's telling me you need to be worried about. That seems right. I mean, the employ the buddy system Mm -hmm. when going through reputable information, certainly. And that's what's hard. I mean, every, you know, we, we put up the new, our newsletters weekly instead of daily for a reason, which is to really be able to take a step back and, and, and say like, hey, listen, this is the biggest shit that happened this week. And maybe you already saw this headline because now versus when we started, for instance, climate change was on the front page of the New York Times today. Mm-hmm. It's rarely in other places. So maybe you did see these things, right? They're hard to miss at this point, but we're going to put them in there anyways. And yet every day, the news cycle completely changes and it's full of things that are important and reputable and things that don't fit those buckets or that are going to change again, like we talked about with science. So, you know, I, I empathize. It's it's really hard, but, you know, that we they talk about doom scrolling, mm-hmm. um, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's first thing in the morning, which is a bad idea, or for the last thing you do at night, which is a bad idea. Also bad, yeah. It's not helpful. There's wonderful science communicators out there that are doing their best, but holy hell, is it a losing battle on, on, on social media every day, you know? So find those things. And I love that idea of like reaching out to a friend and whether it's scheduled or not and saying like, can we, can we try to sort this out? Mm-hmm. Can, can we try, what, what have you seen? Where have I seen? What are people and places that we're going to decide like are our places to get reputable information from? Mm-hmm. Um, that feels really, that feels really practical. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think per this conversation, I think it's really important. I mean, I obviously want people to stay informed and be engaged in the news to their capacity because that's what I do. And I like want to help educate people, get everybody on the same page about some of these topics, help people learn something new every day. But I also think it's incredibly crucial to actually just disengage from the news And kind of pay attention to how the news is making you feel. Because what we do know is that, you know, chronic stress makes you sick over time and contributes to various different diseases. And it's really important, you know, the news can set off your stress response and your fight or flight response. Because sometimes if you're watching a video, your brain doesn't realize that what you're watching in the video isn't actually happening to you. And you might be experiencing some degree of that stress response um, if you're watching something traumatic. And over time, if you're watching these things, you know, if you're scrolling the news every 30 minutes or every hour, which sometimes it can feel like you need to do that, especially now because you're trying to you know, figure out how to live your life. Do I go to the grocery store? Do I go to this person's wedding? You know, how do I make these very basic decisions in a way that's safe? And the news can be a resource for that. 
But I think that's also just really important for people to set boundaries on that and put down their phone and go outside or, you know, have a meal without either talking about the news or having your phone next to you with news alerts. I think that like in today's world, we get news updates on our phones all the time in a way that other generations just didn't. You know, they read the newspaper in the morning, maybe they watched the nightly news, but they didn't have this information coming in constantly in a way that can just make people really panicked and fearful. So I think that like breaking up the way or thinking intentionally about the way that you consume news is huge. I, yeah, I, I, God, I mean, it seems to make a lot of sense again. Like we, you want people to, to, you want an informed populace again with whatever 50 days until the election or whatever it might be. But at the same time, like I have this wonderful therapist who talks a lot about me doing too much because I have like 12 jobs and three kids and live on two coasts. Mm-hmm. Um, but he talks a lot about this idea that like your bandwidth basically like there needs to be like a buffer between how much you're doing and what your actual max bandwidth is. Like you can't go to 11 every day mm-hmm. um, because it doesn't leave room for something really traumatic happening to you or someone you love or a work thing or a child or, or whatever it might be. Um, and it feels the same way for, for news engagement and, or even taking action. You know, you can't, you can't, you can't do it all day, every day. And especially because there's so so little of it that you can actually control. Yeah, absolutely. It's hard to take a break, you know, although it's necessary, but I always find it so hard. Yeah, maybe because of, of it being so constant that you're just getting hit with with everything. It almost feels like wrong or something. Or if you, if you put your phone away and you, and you don't look at the news for half an hour. Yeah, I mean, it is for, for me in particular, you know, working day in and day out in the media world, like it's part of my job to stay just right. informed to the utmost degree. And there's a lot I like love about that. You know, I think it like feeds your curiosity and I want to know what's going on in the world, but on a minute to minute basis, you know, is it, is it, do I need to be scrolling to see what every news outlet is putting out, you know, every minute? I don't think so. And I also think that like, for me, it's been so crucial to like develop sustainable habits just to even get through the day or get through the week and do this job. Um, And I think a lot of journalists feel that way as well, because it can sometimes feel like you're kind of wading through a really tumultuous ocean of, of news. And it's not possible to stay updated on everything, especially in this environment, you know, news is being produced much more rapidly. I I don't know what the the numbers are, but I would imagine it's much more rapid than in other decades and staying up to date on it just isn't, is impossible. So you have to find a way to do it in a way that's sustainable And doesn't just hijack your brain because as you guys are talking about, like if you are constantly vigilant and constantly reading these headlines and then talking to your friends about it, talking to your family about it, then going back to get the update, you are leaving very little time for you to reset, to heal your body, to sleep well, all the things that we know are good for your mental and physical health. And you're just constantly in this state of fight or flight and chronic stress which is just going to create so many problems down the line. But as you're saying, all this is easier said than done. You know, we do need this information and, you know, you want to know what's happening. Yeah. I've tried over the past, since we started doing this a couple of years ago, I've I've tried to develop better habits about, you know, taking, uh, shutting everything down at night and time in the morning and, and not doing on the weekends. And then it really felt validated when I read an interview with Rachel, (laughs) with Rachel Maddow, who basically leaves the studio on Friday and drives like four hours to her farm in like rural Massachusetts and essentially says like on the weekend, unless 
there's a piece of news that requires me to go on to my show in like an emergency capacity. Like I'm completely disconnected. And I was like, yeah, if she does Ah, all that, then like I can turn off my phone for 48 hours. Like it's like it's not necessary. Mm -hmm. You know, like Mm -hmm. I, I tried to really take something from that. Um, wow. And it, it's funny, it drives my family a little crazy because, you know, we're all busy during the week. And then on the weekend, somebody will bring something up and I'm like, yeah. like I can't. <laughs> yeah. I'm, not, I'm not doing it. I, I can't. Uh, Incredible. Uh, Allie, I'm, what am I, 36, Quinn? I don't know. Who, uh, who can know? And I feel, you know, younger sometimes, mostly older. We We work with these young activists all the time and learn from them and, you know, look around and, you know, it's not hard to see and to get why they're, they're suffering. Boomers won't share the same future that these kids will. And these kids are marching in the streets out of desperation. And then now some of them are considering suicide for, for the same reason, desperation. Do you have thoughts on how we can help bend the arc in, in the direction of action of, of helping these young people Mm -hmm. specifically Mm -hmm. feel uh, a sense of, of possibility? Yeah, I think that's the kind of the golden question um, right now, because I think that what's happening is, you know, in the past, parents would look at their children and they would think this child, I'm working so that this child has a better future than I did and a better life. And they've seen in different polls that this is the first generation where parents are saying, I think their future might be worse. You know, this might be a dimmer future than what I had. And that's a really scary thought. And I think that honestly, I mean, my personal opinion is I think growing up as like Gen Z or even early millennials, I think you're dealing with, you know, September 11th, you're dealing with a huge financial crisis. You're dealing with the climate crisis. And these things are just punctuating your life and permeating, permeating your life. It's impossible to separate these global events from your day-to-day existence. And you're kind of frustrated with the way that older generations are handling it. And I think something that I've heard often when I've talked to um, older people about some of these issues is they'll say, oh, well, children are our future. You know, they will solve these problems. But that's and I, and I appreciate that sentiment. That's a lot of pressure. And it's also like, well, why can't, you know, you, the older Do- people who are in power, why can't you, you know, work on these problems now? No, I was just going to say, like, that's, you know, that's like what Greta said at the UN in that incredible speech. She was like, thank you for giving us uh, for saying like the children are going to save the future. But if it isn't clear, like I can't even fucking vote yet. Like, right. Much less be in office, like do your job. No, do exactly, your job. exactly, exactly. It's incredibly frustrating. And I think that, you know, young people just feel that pressure all the time. Um, and I think that they've done an incredible job of of kind of actively and proactively using those emotions of frustration in a really positive way. I mean, just you just look at the way that climate change activists, the way that police brutality activists are pushing the needle and really raising people's awareness in a way that we haven't seen before, you know, creating these sea changes. But the fact that they're having to do that at 12, at 14, at 16, that's it's a little bit unfair. I think it's amazing that, you know, that that's happening, but it's just it's a lot for them to bear. And then what we're seeing is that, you know, that generation and all of us, right? We're we're mentally stressed. We're feeling this mental toll. We've seen these kind of astronomically high rates of depression, of anxiety, of suicide. And there's debate of, you know, are these things actually happening at a higher prevalence or are we just talking about it more and diagnosing it more? And I don't know the answer to that question, 
But it is true that these things are prevalent, you know, just like we get sick physically, we get sick mentally and these issues need to be addressed. And I think that like ultimately the solutions are complex. Um, There's no kind of perfect magical cure for any of this. I think that as you mentioned, helping people feel like they're not alone in this is huge. You know, social connection is connected to longevity and positive mental health outcomes Um, We have amazing ways of treating, amazing medications to treat this. We have experimental treatments that are coming out that are showing enormous promise, but it's a lifelong, I don't want, I don't know if I want to say struggle, but it's a lifelong issue. Staying mentally strong and mentally healthy is something that you work on every day. And I think the best positive, and I think the thing that young people have done in the best way is they're talking about it more than ever. They're not pushing it to the side because none of these things are new. You know, older generations may have felt this way, but just dealt with it on their own sucked it up and moved on. Right. Look out for those things, find it from reputable places, but also we're going to get into in a second and Brian will lead us into, there's some really wonderful things you can be doing today to take care of yourself and your loved ones and, and all these people on the front line. So, so Brian, uh, carry us forward. Hey, let's, let's get into that. Yeah. So Allie, where do you feel like people can start to find some help knowing that they can, they can only control so much outside of, of their own headspace? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's great to read about or hear about these amazing future developments, but um, there's a lot you can do while we wait. Um, And those things are not miracle cures. Like as we talked about, there's no magic bullet when it comes to health for your mind or your body. But I think there are like some, some great habits people can put into place every day. And I think the first, especially now is just giving yourself a break. I think we put so much pressure on ourselves, especially when we're dealing with overwhelming emotions, whether it's anger, whether it's depression, we don't, those, those feelings make us uncomfortable. And a lot of times we just push them down. We try to move on. We try to distract ourselves, but I think that's me. Yeah. I think giving, giving yourself a break to feel that, to let it wash over you, um, is really a great way to move forward because I think obviously we know emotions don't last forever. Every emotion is momentary and it will eventually pass. That's all to say there are very real mental health issues that are lasting and they can feel like they're never going to end. And, you know, that's where checking in with friends, staying connected with loved ones, going to see a therapist, if that's possible for you, those things can be really helpful. And I think something that I focus on a lot is the relationship between the body and mind and the way that, you know, exercise and working out and sweating, um, on a regular basis, obviously is helpful, um, you know, as we age to stay healthy, to stave off illness, but it is absolutely helpful, helpful in protecting our mental health. I've written about it a lot. It's, like it's science. It is science. Yeah. I mean, exercise actually can improve the brain's resilience to stress. It can help you deal with depression. It can help you deal with anxiety And even from just like, if you're feeling totally overwhelmed and you want to get outside, go for a run that can help you kind of shake off those worries, but it also can help modulate like your brain function, increase blood flow, do all these great things. So I think keeping that in mind on a day-to-day basis is crucial. I think as we talked about giving yourself um, or intentionally consuming the news, giving yourself a break from that and from your phone, practicing gratitude. And some people love journaling. I've never been, even though I'm, I write every day, journaling is not my (laughs) thing. Meditation is hugely helpful. You know, just giving your brain the chance to reset and heal itself. Because when you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off every day, 
you don't get that chance to reset and eventually you will kind of crash. So what you want to do is create these sustainable habits every day to give yourself a break and to move forward in a way that helps you feel strong and positive about your life and healthy. I love that. Love that. Needed to hear that. Head to Inverse.com to read more about how to manage your mental health during COVID-19. Also, be sure to check out Allie, Quinn, and Brian's full conversation at ImportantNotImportant.com for more on the tools you need to fight for a better future. If you agree that science and facts matter more than ever, give us a rating and review on iTunes to help more people find The Abstract and other podcasts like it. New episodes of The Abstract are released three times a week. Find old episodes and more original reporting on science, innovation, culture, and entertainment at Inverse.com. Look for the Abstract Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast app you use. For Inverse, I'm Tanya Bustos. Thanks for listening.